This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, we're still um, recording Arab Talk from our remote locations in Northern California. This happens to be the first day or two that we've had somewhat breathable air. The fires remain out of control in many parts of California and in Oregon. There's been an extensive loss of life and damage to property in the billions of dollars. We have a president of the United States who denies climate change in the face of hurricanes that are devastating the Gulf Coast and fires that are ravaging the West. But we'll continue to Um, produce and report on Arab Talk. As long as we have any kind of internet connection, we'll be doing this. We have a lot to report today, Jamal. There's there's actually quite a bit to talk about. We're going to be talking about the Abraham Agreement, the kind of um, ridiculous fake branding of the peace in the Middle East uh, accords between the Israelis and Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates and how that's being played up. But There's kind of a bizarre story, Jamal, and I know you know about this, but apparently there's a large pro-Israel Muslim group that is really um, ready to support Joe Biden. It's kind of a crazy story. That's right, and I wouldn't uh, call it a large uh, group. Uh, I mean, that's how they're presenting it as the largest uh, Muslim uh, pack, but it's not, uh, as, as we know that. It's just an exaggeration. And this is a great article uh, and a great interview uh, with uh, Ali Abu Ni'ma, the co-founder of the Electronic Intifada, who recently wrote this article entitled Meet M-Gage, the pro-Israel Muslims backing Joe Biden. So... Of course, meet M. Gage. I've never heard of M. Gage. And I've never heard of him. And we know a lot of people, right? <laughs> but apparently they've been around and they've been speaking on behalf of Muslim Americans. And, and basically they've catapulted right in the middle of the Biden campaign, uh, claiming to represent Muslim voices, claiming to represent Arab voices, Arab Americans, even Palestinians. And um, uh, Ali uh, wrote a uh, very good article. I uh, uh, advise everyone to you know look it up. It's right on Electronic Intifada, and read it. So let's let's uh, watch his interview, and uh, we'll discuss it afterwards. Join us today on Arab Talk, Ali Abu Nima. Ali is the author of two books, One Country, A Bold Proposal to End the Israeli-Palestinian Impasse, and the other book is The Battle for Justice in Palestine. He's also the co-founder of the Electronic Intifada. Welcome to Arab Talk, Ali. Thank you, Jamal. It's my pleasure to be back. You recently wrote an eye-opening article in the Electronic Intifada entitled Meet M-Gage, the pro-Israel Muslims backing Joe Biden. To tell you the truth, uh, most Muslim Americans have not heard of M-Gage. In your article, you wrote that the Washington Post described M-Gage as the largest Muslim American PAC or political action committee. This is news to me and uh, that M-Gage is now organizing what it calls the Million Muslim Votes Campaign. I want you to tell our listeners and viewers how did this come about who is behind M-Gage, and how did this PAC all of a sudden catapulted into the Joe Biden's campaign? Yeah, you know, I got interested in them because uh, this group, M-Gage, uh, they had suddenly been sort of visible everywhere. Um, they scored a big coup when uh, Joe Biden uh, spoke to the to a summit they organized in July. Of course, it was online, uh, but they got to brag that you know Biden is speaking to our organization, and Biden has very rarely spoken to Muslim groups. And it was also interesting that uh, one of their board members, Farouk Mitha, has been appointed by Biden as his so-called Muslim engagement advisor. And it was very odd to me that uh, in July, uh, Mitha was uh, quoted in the Washington Post 
praising or lauding Engage on behalf of the Joe Biden campaign, and the Washington Post did not disclose that uh, Mitha is part of that organization. Uh, so, you know, he was praising his own organization on behalf of the Biden campaign. So that, that's a really glaring conflict of interest, and it certainly warranted digging a little deeper into who this organization is. And what emerged is that uh, this group, uh, its official address is a Travelodge Motel in Lakeland, Florida, that is owned by the Mitha family, Farouk Mitha and his father, Amin, who is also on the board of Engage. And the board and the staff of the organization also include uh, at least four people that we know of so far who have been involved in the so-called Muslim Leadership Initiative, which is uh, an initiative to take so-called emerging Muslim leaders on uh, all-expenses-paid trips to Israel. And this MLI, as it's called, Muslim Leadership Initiative, is uh, organized by the Shalom Hartman Institute. This is an Israeli organization that works closely with the Israeli army and is funded by the Russell Berry Foundation, which also funds some of the most Islamophobic uh, organizations and individuals in the United States, people like Stephen Emerson, Daniel Pipes, and um, uh, Robert Spencer, uh, to, to give examples. So I thought it was very strange that, uh, you know, all these connections were there. And then when you dig deeper, you find that other principles in this organization, uh, like the CEO, Wa'il Zayat, who is a former State Department official, uh, also have very close ties with Israel lobby groups, including the uh, including APAC and its think tank, the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, the American Jewish Committee, and the Anti-Defamation League. These are all, you know, in summary, uh, it, Israel lobby groups that play a major role in uh, pushing for U.S. policies that are very explicitly anti-Palestinian. And then the other thing that was very apparent is that Engage makes barely any mention of Palestine. Palestine was virtually absent from its website. It's not on its list of issues. And they're out there pushing uh, for Joe Biden, who you know continues to take very anti-Palestinian position. So from the perspective of our publication, The Electronic Intifada, which focuses on Palestine, it was really important to dig into who this group is that claims to be speaking on behalf of the Muslim American community. Well, I was uh, also surprised that uh, you also mentioned that their effort is backed by well-known national uh, Muslim organizations such as CARE, uh, MPAC, and uh, Empower, uh, the latter led by Palestinian-American activist uh, Linda Sarsour. And we know there was an issue with Linda Sarsour, uh, and in fact with the uh, Palestinian delegation trying to get involved uh, in the DNC and uh, uh, Linda Sarsour was attacked, and then there was supposedly a private apology. So uh, what role do these organizations play? I mean, um, I'm actually surprised, to tell you the truth, by CARE, for example. Yeah, you know, some interesting things came up uh, in, in some of my subsequent reporting. Once I published the first article, sort of the big expose on Engage uh, on September 9th, you know, then a lot of people brought things to my attention. I was contacted uh, by a lot of people who wanted to sort of tell me their experiences with Engage and how um, they had had their, their sort of doubts and grievances with the organization for a long time. And one of the issues that came up was this, this uh, incident with Linda Sarsour, who uh, was smeared by the Biden campaign, uh, basically as anti-Semitic. Um, and instead of asking for an apology, uh, one of the complaints, and I reported on this, was that um, uh, Engage 
instead tried to use that to sort of get concessions from the Biden campaign of sort of more jobs in uh, Biden transition or Biden administration instead of an apology. In other words, you know, people see this group as just a vehicle for the career advancement of people like uh, Farouk Mitha, who I should also note is a former Pentagon official. And in that role, um, you know, was involved in, in, uh, in U.S. policy for a number of years, albeit at a junior level. But, you know, he was nonetheless part of, part of the Defense Department. And um, so the question is, why are groups like CARE and, um, uh, you know, MPAC uh, and Empower Change uh, uh, signing up with uh, Engage? I mean, that's a question I can't answer on their behalf, but it, it could be that uh, once Farouk Mitha managed to get this appointment uh, by the Biden campaign, it was just a question of, you know, if you can't lick them, join them. And, um, you know, what they, what, what they claim is that all these groups are joining together in something called the Million Muslim Votes Initiative. But it's not apparent to me that Engage, or even all these groups together, have the wherewithal to register and mobilize a million Muslim voters, as, as this Engage initiative claims. And when I asked Engage, uh, you know, how many voters have you registered since you started this initiative, I think, back in March or April or uh, uh, whenever it was? You know, I, would, I, I didn't get any answer to that question. So uh, some people have said that, you know, it's more about self-promotion than an actually serious uh, voter mobilization effort. Well, and we one know they have zero outreach uh, effort. I mean, if they want to have the Million uh, Muslim March, uh, we haven't heard anything. Million Muslim votes. votes. Yeah, uh, I mean, we haven't you know, had heard yeah. anything from them in the in the Bay Area. And then if they're trying to connect with Muslims, because we've had, and you, you have in your article, Amr Zahir, uh, on our uh, show here, and he slightly touched on this. He kind of just mentioned that he was kicked out from a Zoom meeting with uh, representatives of the Biden campaign. And I, I didn't get it that time because he didn't mention Engage by yeah. name, that he was actually kicked out. Well, what, what happened, and I, I've included this video in uh, my article at the Electronic Intifada, um, is that I think it was back in, uh, in June or so, uh, there was a meeting uh, hosted by Farouk Mitha in his capacity as Biden's campaign advisor with uh, leaders and activists from the Palestinian American community. And the point that Amir uh, Zahir was making in that meeting, and you can see it on the video, is that uh, why is the Biden campaign treating the question of Palestine and the question of U.S. policy towards uh, Palestine as a Muslim outreach issue? And instead of a policy issue and a foreign policy issue that requires uh, proper treatment. In other words, Amir was... Um, offended, I think very understandably, that this was being, being treated just sort of as ethnic outreach. You just have to, you know, uh, placate and pander to, the, to Muslims. And the point that Amir made in that call is that uh, the pro-Israel groups were given a meeting with uh, high-level policy people in the campaign, not with sort of a Jewish outreach person. But it was treated from their perspective as a foreign policy issue, in contrast to the dismissive way that uh, the Biden campaign and Farouk Mitha in particular were treating Palestinians. And when Amir made those points, Mitha cut him off and kicked him out of the meeting. And then, uh, you know, other people left the meeting in protest uh, at that. So that's an example that happened uh, several months ago of the kind of um, behavior that was already sort of percolating and circulating, which was generating uh, a lot of uh, questions about uh, Engage and its role and the role of Farouk Mitha and his very unclear role. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, one of the interesting things is that uh, 
uh, engage in, in its response to my article claimed, for example, that uh, Mitta had left uh, the board of Engage. Uh, you know, he'd formally stepped back because presumably so there would be no conflict of interest in his role in the Biden campaign. But actually, the documentary evidence shows that that's not true. As recently as April 25th, Engage filed um, its annual report with the state of Florida, where it's registered, showing Farouk Mitha as one of its board members. This was almost two months after Biden had appointed him. And then as late as August 30th, uh, the board, uh, the, the Engage website, showed Farouk Mitha as part of its board. And then suddenly they removed the entire board from the website. So there, there's also a total lack of transparency and basic honesty in how uh, Engage is relating to questions about its role. I want to take us back to ML, MLI, uh, Muslim Leadership Initiative, uh, the faith-washing, whatever, propaganda arm of probably the Israeli government, directly the Israeli government. You have two members who participated in the MLI trip, and, and I, I remember in particular their, their uh, trip to, the, to Jerusalem and Al-Aqsa Mosque, and they came under a lot of criticism, and an altercation, by the way, happened on the, on the ground. And then all of a sudden, uh, they kind of petered out, and now all of a sudden I see their name here. I'm, I have a major concern about the role if Engage is the front to MLI or not. I mean, do you have any sense yeah. of that? Well, uh, what we know is that uh, in total, four people uh, linked to Engage have gone uh, on these Muslim these Muslim leadership initiative trips to Israel, which, as I mentioned. Uh, organized by this group, funded by um, the same funder as uh, Islamophobes and with close ties to the Israeli army. That includes two board members, and or three board members rather, two national board members, Khurram Wahad and A.J. Durrani, and a member of their Texas chapter board called uh, Farouk Shemsi. And uh, the Texas... Uh, executive director, uh, a woman called Nabila Mansour. And Khurram Wahad uh, went on the MLI trip, I think it was in 2015. We reported on this at the time. And as you mentioned, there was this altercation where another member of that MLI delegation was involved in an altercation with a Jerusalem resident at Al-Aqsa Mosque because this Jerusalem resident knew who they were and told them to their faces that, uh, you know, MLI is not welcome, that people coming with this, um, you know, this Israeli initiative to Jerusalem are not welcome there. And there was an altercation in which it's alleged that um, one member of this MLI group uh, assaulted the Jerusalem resident. And Khurram Wahad, the engaged board member, was a witness to that. I spoke to him at the time, and I reported at the time uh, on that incident. So I don't think uh, there's any evidence that Engage is sort of formally a front for uh, MLI, but that's not how MLI works. MLI is really about cultivating quiet individual ties with uh, so-called Muslim leaders in North America to you know, get, to create sort of personal friendships and connections with the Israel lobby that can be used to neutralize any potential criticism of Israel. And you used the term faith washing, which I use in my article. MLI is a faith washing initiative. What is faith washing? Uh, basically, that's when um, you, it, it's sort of a dishonest effort to portray. The, the situation in Palestine as a religious misunderstanding between Muslims and Jews, instead of what it really is, which is a settler colonial occupation of Palestine, uh, which has nothing to do with religion, even though Israel justifies its conquest of Palestine, you know, as in religious terms. It's not a religious conflict. There is no ancient conflict between Muslims and Jews. But faith-washing initiatives try to place 
the, the conflict in the framework of a religious uh, dispute. Why? Because, number one, that erases the facts about what's actually going on. It erases the power difference between Israelis and Palestinians and turns it into, uh, you know, oh, well, it's a religious conflict, and the way to resolve it is not by ending Israeli occupation and colonization, but by having dialogue between Muslims and Jews. So this so-called interfaith dialogue provides a framework for faith washing and a framework for co-opting people like, uh, you know, the ones who go on MLI and misrepresenting the issue as a religious conflict and using that as a way to co-opt these leaders individually and really to silence criticism and really to, do, to, to sabotage support for Palestine by kind of buying off these various individual so-called Muslim leaders. Uh, right. We have a few minutes left, and as we are speaking, they're getting ready for the signing uh, ceremony for the so-called uh, Abraham Accords. Uh, and I want to know, uh, what do you think about this whole thing, with starting with the UAE, now Bahrain, and I've read uh, this morning that Oman is sending an envoy, I guess the Trump administration's uh, administration couldn't gather all Arab leaders for this uh, photo op uh, opportunity, but Oman apparently is going to be next. Actually, you know, it's, it's a beautiful uh, 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 sort of segue because the so-called Abraham Accords, Abraham Accords, is precisely an example of faith washing, referring to Abraham, you know, that this is bringing together the adherents of the Abrahamic religions again, to try to portray this as a historic reconciliation among religions, when what it really is, is a dirty deal between the Israeli apartheid regime and unrepresentative despotic regimes who are in it for uh, the money, for the arms deals, for their own interests, and it has absolutely nothing to do with advancing Palestinian rights, as, as some of the apologists of the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain have tried to portray. And really, it represents a fantasy by Israel that the question of Palestine and the oppression of the Palestinians and the rights of the Palestinians can be bypassed, that if Israel makes so-called peace deals with despotic regimes hundreds or thousands of miles away, that the Palestinian issue will disappear. But this is based on a misunderstanding because, you know, regimes like the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain have never done anything serious for Palestinian rights. So it's not as if they are really a loss from the Palestinian camp. I think all this does is expose the reality that these regimes and others who will you know, reveal themselves soon have been quietly collaborating with Israel for many, many decades. That's certainly true of the United Arab Emirates, whose ties to Israel go back at least to the 1990s, so we're talking about almost 30 years, and include secret uh, deals to do with mil military intelligence. And even four or five years ago, the United Arab Emirates Air Force was doing joint exercises with the Israeli Air Force. So the, the effort to try to portray this as some kind of historic, significant breakthrough is, is fiction. Ali Abu uh, I want to thank you again for coming on Arab Talk, and hopefully we'll see you again, uh, maybe in person, <laughs> at some point. I very much hope so, and thank you for having me. And that's the voice and the face of Aliu Abu Nema, the co-founder of Electronic Intifada, speaking with us about Embrace. The M-Gage. Oh, M-Gage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the heck it is, but it's a pro-Israel Muslim lobby or, or political action committee that is in support of Joe Biden. I don't even know what to say, Jamal. I'm kind of speechless. This is the same group that was supporting Hillary, was on the Hillary Clinton campaign in her disastrous 2016 campaign where she lost to uh, Donald Trump. And now we have the same formation of groups, kind of uh, obviously pro-Israel groups, funneling the Muslim voice on the Biden campaign. 
Well, there are members uh, of the Muslim leadership, whatever, MLI. We've discussed this before, you know. Yes. This is, uh, you know, another group that uh, was invited to uh, Palestine or invited actually by an Israeli organization to visit Jerusalem and go to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And they were outed basically because they were on a Hasbara tour. And at uh, Al-Aqsa, they were confronted and told that they were not welcome there. We haven't heard from them, but apparently there are at least two two members or two board members of that uh, group who are now part of MGAGE. So this is again, and this is something very important that Ali Abu Ni'ma uh, spoke about, which is there is this whole campaign of uh, faith uh, washing, just like faith, faith washing. washing. Yes, faith washing is just, you know, to take Muslims who pretend or, or claim to represent uh, Muslim Americans in the United States into uh, propaganda tours or Hasbara tours. And the same thing now, the Biden campaign is courting these types of Muslims kind of playing good Muslim, bad Muslim. Right. And then the interesting thing about it, actually, as I was speaking with uh, Ali Abu Ni'ma, uh, it was about just the same time that the, uh, um, the so-called Abraham Accords were about to be signed right. in the White House. And Ali was... Uh, uh, quick enough and wise enough to comment on the name of the Abraham Accords. Right. Same thing, playing that game of the uh, faith washing. Yes. Because, you know, using a biblical name, Abraham representing all monolithic religions, uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims. So try to kind of make that this whole peace deal uh, is made between uh, the children of Abraham and just like a quick maybe footnote for people who maybe don't have uh, an idea about the size of the UAE and uh, Bahrain, you could fit the population, and I'm talking the indigenous Bahrainis and the Emiratis, not the foreign workers who, right. who, who work there. They are less than the population of Gaza, okay? Right. They're, le- they're less than one million and a half people right. to claim, to claim that one and a half million people represent the voice of 1.8 billion plus Muslims around the globe is a travesty. And that's the spin machine of the Kushner, Netanyahu, Trump uh, is trying to do, to say, we're bringing Muslims you know, from all across the, the globe to recognize Israel and also and I just want to, before we get into delve into the details of this, Jess, is that there is a clause, and I read, I didn't read the two agreements, but I read the four-page normalization agreement between Israel and the UAE, which was posted by the State Department. It's four pages. Okay, not a single word was about stopping Israel from annexing Palestinian land. That's right. Then there was a very, and this is also buried in the statements, funky statement saying that with this agreement, now Israel will allow Muslims to to visit and pray. And they use the word pray peacefully at Al-Aqsa. Like like these Muslims, they just come when they pray, they attack people, they create wars. To pray peacefully, it's dictating how they should pray and when they should pray, and who would allow them in. But it doesn't allow Palestinians who live in Jerusalem to go and p- pray. It doesn't allow Palestinians living in the rest of historic Palestine to come in. Well, Palestinians in Jerusalem, they, they, they pray there, but it doesn't allow people in Gaza to travel, you know, and right. doesn't allow people without special Israeli permission exactly. to, uh, to travel from uh, other towns and villages. But in even in Jerusalem, Jamal, you have to be over 40 years old to go there to pray. So, so, yeah, so the idea, they are, and this is part of the language, and this is what, sadly, the representatives of Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates are basically acknowledging that Israel is the key holder to 
Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is a terrible thing. So they are speaking on, a, on behalf of 1.8 billion Muslims and more than 330 million Arabs in the region, even though their combined population is less than one and a half million people. Yeah. So, Jamal, before we dive into the Abraham Accords, I want to go back to uh, engage, engage whatever this uh, group is that Biden is hitching his wagon to. And I think we talked about this last week, too. Part of what this is, is to isolate and to divide the more progressive voices within the Biden campaign uh, away from the Biden campaign and, and away from the Democratic Party. You see the deep influence of pro-Israel forces wanting to isolate the squad, wanting to isolate more progressive forces. And they're using this um, these... Uh, these Muslim groups that are being promoted by pro-Israel groups within the Democratic Party to be the stand-ins for all Muslim or Arab or Palestinian voices within the Biden campaign. That is a very dangerous game, Jamal, that they're doing. It's a very dangerous game. Yeah. And last week, our guest was Huwaida Arraf. That's right. And Huwaida was part of the delegates uh, who went to the DNC and to find a little space on that table. Very little. A very little space, and, and try to help uh, alter the language. And the language did not include Palestine or no. recognition of Palestine. They didn't want to use the no. word occupation. Even so, the word occupation, that, 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 you know, that, that the Israeli occupation actually exists in Palestine, they didn't want to use it. So, so the, it's the same thing. So, Jamal, uh, so just so that you know, Bernie Sanders came out this week and said, you know, you're making the same mistake that Hillary Clinton made. You're isolating progressive voices. You're shooting yourself in the foot. And what does Biden say today, Jamal? He, so, he lauded the so-called peace accords, the normalization between UAE, Bahrain, and the Israelis. So, Biden, who publicly said that you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist, he claims to be a Jewish Zionist, is making many, if not most, of the same mistakes that the Hillary Clinton campaign made in 2016. And I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it every week, Jamal. At your peril, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, if you isolate the progressive voices yet again, you're headed down a very dangerous path. And we also had another guest also, Amr Zahir, who was also right. on the show. And then he talked about this very topic. And in fact, at that point, he did not name during the interview M-Gage. That's why I said to, we, to me, I told Ali, this was news to me, actually finding out about M-Gage and what they've been about. Because we, we don't hear about them here, right here in Northern California. And, and, and frankly, you know, I mean, we try to kind of monitor a lot of the news we is do. that yeah, we do. when Amr Zahir was invited to a Zoom a discussion with the representatives of the uh, Biden campaign, uh, the Biden campaign had, a, had uh, the head of MGAGE basically de- de- leading the meeting, and eventually he was basically cut, cut off, basically they disinvited him from the meeting <laughs> for, uh, for raising the questions about Palestine and who they represented and so forth. When he started to kind of question their motives, he was basically uninvited from, from that chat room. So it's a topic we should really keep an eye on it. And I thank uh, our guest uh, Ali Abu Ni'ma and for his article and uh, for yeah, really... But- but I think, covering, uh, but I, 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 I just want to, I think I want to emphasize this point, Jamal, we're less than 50 days away from the election. And we see the, the Biden-Harris ticket making many, if not most of the same mistakes that the Clinton campaign made. And they're, they're doing the same thing. They're jumping up and down saying what a terrible leader Trump is, rather than sticking to the specific policy ideas and policy statements and, you know, kind of ideas that they want to promote and policies that they want to promote, they are headed in a very, I think, self-destructive direction. They got to wake up, Jamal. There's only so many days left. And the polling 
is a lot tighter than than is being portrayed in the mainstream media for sure. Well, I agree with you. So back to the uh, UAE and Bahrain uh, ag- uh, agreements. Uh, Come on, so- can we just say what it is? It's a complete so-called- joke. It's a so complete joke. So-called the Abraham Accords. No, no, it's not. Uh, listen, uh, we have to look at it. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Of course. What's good about? Of, what's good about it? Well, what's, what's good about it? The good is not. It's not to you for you to determine. It's not for me to determine. It's really. It was something good for Benjamin Netanyahu. It was something good for Kushner. It was something good for Trump because Trump. Actually, even, let's say, if it lasts 48 hours, one week, two weeks, it was an achievement to have this back-to-back agreements, you know. It does mark a diplomatic victory for Trump. Remember, he spent his entire presidency talking about the so-called deal of the century. That was a fiasco. He was also talking about solving this whole thing with North Korea, nuclear program. and That's a buddy, disaster. Buddy yeah, that's there. a disaster. And that was just all for show. And now he actually has something tangible where he brought two Arab countries back to back to sign a peace agreement. And, and so from that end, I don't want to kind of take away from that victory. And of course, similarly can be said about Benjamin Netanyahu, who is really uh, engulfed in uh, major uh, criticism, uh, right. you know, uh, because for handling, number one, the coronavirus, similarly to, to Trump, and for cor- corruption, you know, he's facing a corruption trial, he uh, has ch- uh, charges of bribery, fraud, breach of trust, and, and, and people have been demonstrating in the streets. It basically gave them a new life. So we cannot dismiss this aspect. But but yeah, you're right Sadly, about that. you're right about that Jamal, but let's let's be real. You you called Bahrain and the UAE Arab countries. You know, I I I think we should tell our listeners that, you know, are they countries or are they monarchies because, you know, really these are in, in the traditional sense of you know, the way we think about countries versus monarchies. I'm not so sure I would refer to Bahrain and the UAE technically. Uh, well, def- con- definitely there are the despotic regimes. And also when we have this criticism, this is not directed towards the people of Bahrain. No, not at all. The, and, or the people of the Emirates, because there are people, and I know that for a fact, and, they, and, and I actually received a note from a friend of mine in Bahrain. He's a... He's a known journalist and a blogger who basically was uh, put in jail when there, there was a rebellion against the king, right? right. So part of this so-called Arab Spring, Bahrain, the people demonstrated in Bahrain to remove the king. And then guess who kept the king alive and buttressed him? It was Saudi Arabia That's sending right. its own military to save his behind. Right. And, and so we know that, and we know what's going on. And really, in the entire uh, Arabian uh, Peninsula, you don't have uh, democratic regimes there, and, and you have uh, regimes that have to follow the dictate of the United States, uh, and they're still under this whole colonial mentality, uh, the remnant from the colonial time of the, of the Brits, and now the United States kind of uh, make the decision for them. So, so we know that. So, but, but again, nevertheless, this was a victory lap for but, Trump. But, right, a victory lap for Trump and for Netanyahu and maybe for the elites of Bahrain, you know, the, the, the royal families of Bahrain and UAE. But not- let's, be, let's be real, Jamal. This is not a peace plan for the Palestinians. No, it's uh, not. The UAE, the uh, foreign minister, had the outrageous gall to say today or yesterday that this agreement was going to help Palestinians. I mean, he felt, and he, he actually, the, he actually the said charade, those words. That's the charade. And then he said something uh, earlier, and he said laughable. I tell you what's laughable about it. You know what's laughable about it is that when you listen to Donald Trump, and you listen, 
you know, to this whole uh, propaganda thing that they're, you know, these are warring countries and these are warriors and there is blood in the sand. Remember, Donald Trump, we're going to stop the blood. In, what blood in the sand that has never been a war between Israel and Bahrain or Israel and the UAE? They don't mm-hmm. even share borders. So this whole thing, facade, that they they faced, you know, conflict, that's, that's nonsense, and that's what people, they see it. They call it a peace agreement. It's not a peace agreement because there was never a war between the two countries. I mean, that's kind of like, uh, you know, they ran away with that statement. The other thing is, you know, I've mentioned to you the population that Bahrain and the UAE claim to, to speak on behalf of 1.8 billion Muslims. We're talking about basically the population less than the population of Gaza that Israel keeps under lock. Basically, you know, under siege from air, uh, sea, and land, and 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 they're not talking about that. And then the, uh, with all due respect to the Emir, the Foreign Minister uh, Emir uh, Prince Abdullah, who said that this was uh, done uh, in good faith to help the Palestinians. That's nonsense. That's the Palestinians told him we don't need this kind of thing. They've already conveyed that message, whether we agree and we don't agree with the Palestinian Authority. They've conveyed it to him not to be part of this agreement. He's he's seen the demonstrations in the streets, that no one is supporting it. And also, there isn't a single word uh, in the agreement about Palestine Palestine or about stopping the, uh, um, the annexation. Benjamin Netanyahu can still do whatever he wants to do with the Palestinians, Bomb, bomb Gaza at will. Uh, Annex, steal more land. Steal more land. uh, Keep Palestinians under apartheid conditions. You know, so it's it's really, you know, it's so disingenuous. I mean, they wanted to say, let's go back to the main reason. They want to get F-35s, which basically uh, Israel and its lobby right here in the United States uh, are against it. Okay. And that's what they want. And even, even Trump, he said, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about this. Uh, let's wait until next year because, number one, we don't know if Trump is going to be in power. So that whole thing about the F-35, at the end, it might come back and bite them in the behind because they might come back empty-handed. But, but Jamal, uh, Joe Biden is not that different than Donald Trump when it comes to the issue of the normalization charade between the Israelis, Bahrain, and the UAE. Don't be surprised if UAE gets their little F-35s and Bahrain is reestablished with a military presence of the U.S. military there. It's already pay- there. Yeah, but even, but even bigger, even bigger uh, to, for payback for the normalization. You know, I don't, I don't you know where, j- the, where most of the military in the Middle East, in, in, whether in Iraq, Saudi Arabia, it's in Qatar, etc. No, no I, aside from this, where they go for R and R, they go Bahrain. to Bahrain and Oman. Right. Okay, that's that's basically their R and R destination. This is a well-known thing. But back to the thing, and this is dangerous because they're touting that there are others coming, and I'm not dismissing this. Because Oman you might shouldn't. be the third country. Right. We're talking about Sudan. We're talking about Morocco and others. The uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is now permitting Al Al, the national Israeli airlines, to fly over its territory. Okay. Bahrain, the king of Bahrain, doesn't do a single thing without consulting with the Saudis. Right. And to a lesser extent, the UAE. But for sure, I know that. The king of Bahrain, he does not get up from his throne to go to the bathroom without consulting with Saudi Arabia. Well, because he's in power because of the Saudis, Jamal. Without the Saudis, he would have been gone. So with the Saudis, with him coming here, he got the green light from Saudi Arabia. And with Saudi Arabia allowing, basically, Israeli flights to go over its territory... That's the danger, and that's the danger is that, yes, you might have more from the Gulf states. You have now with the change in the regime in Sudan, and Sudan is looking for financial aid from the United States and to get off from all these different sanctions, a way out to join the 
Israeli American club. And also, I know there are advanced talks with Morocco. So it does not look it's not good. Look, no, it's not looking good. And, and that's, that's why I say, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about this because I don't believe that the Biden administration, especially with Harris, who's no progressive on Palestine, Jamal, I don't believe that a Biden administration will do anything to stop this. Biden has said nothing positive about Donald Trump except with this normalization agreement between yeah, yeah, Bahrain yeah, yeah. and UAE. I mean, they're on the same page. They are on the same to, page. When it comes to Israel, it doesn't matter if you're from the Democratic Party or you are from the Republican and Party, with hence, few exceptions. With and few. hence why they're, they're playing a very dangerous game, Jamal. And, and frankly, when all this attention is on you know, Bahrain, UAE, and the Gulf, why are we not talking about what's happening in Lebanon that's been absolutely devastated by, you know, so many things, not the least of which is the bomb blast that occurred, the refugee problem, the devastation in Syria, the devastation in Iraq. We're, we're not talking about how the United States and its surrogates and the Israelis have just completely destabilized and wrecked the lives of millions of, of Arab citizens throughout you know, that part of the world. No, we're focusing on less than a million people in these thuggish uh, monarchies. And, and this is the message. And this is the message. And this is uh, what's going to happen in the next uh, months. Even under, even if, as you said, even if Biden wins, okay, there is a strong message and there is strong sentiment in the Middle East that you're not going to get by without the United States, right? You need to befriend the United States. And the road to Washington comes through Tel Aviv. Right. So the road to Washington comes through Israel. In order for you to come on the good side, whether it's uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, you must go through the prime minister of Israel. And for now, the prime minister of Israel is Benjamin Netanyahu has the strongest than uh, the strongest relationship with a sitting president right. uh, in the White House than any former prime minister. Hundred percent. Going right. all the way back to Ben Gurion, you're not gonna get a stronger relationship, and it's a personal relationship. And there is, you know, we've talked about it. There is the Jared Kushner connection where Benjamin Netanyahu, when he used to go and come and visit the United States, would stay in his own his bedroom in New Jersey at, at, his, at, at his parents' house there. So the connection cannot be any stronger. <laughs> and the connection with the uh, U.S. ambassador in uh, Israel cannot be any stronger. And the envoy, it's just like it's all 100% strong connection with the Senate, with the Congress. So Arabs are coming and saying, you know what? And this is a sad thing. We're not, you know, uh, do we still uh, want to stay behind? And, when I, and again, uh, when I say Arabs, I want people to understand me. I'm not talking about the average person. I'm talking those leaders and despotic right. leaders at, by and large. Uh, they're saying, uh, we don't care about the Palestinians. You know, we want to have good relations with the United States, and if we have to go and, and uh, bow to Benjamin Netanyahu, we'll do that. And, well, we'll I, just, and they're I doing think, it. No, I think that's right, Jamal. And we have to face the unfortunate reality that the Arab leaders have been throwing Palestine and Palestinians under the bus for decades now, um, that, the, that the aftermath of the Oslo Accords has been catastrophic and has facilitated other Arab despotic leaders throwing Palestine and Palestinians under the bus. And we're going to continue to see the process of, of, of Palestine no longer figuring into the calculation in, in these despotic leaders. Having said all that, when you, as you said, and I think you're exactly right, the missing calculation in all this is what's going to happen on the ground with everyday citizens of these countries who still, by and large, the overwhelming majority of Arabs and Muslims all over the world are undeniably supportive of Palestinian freedom, independence, 
and dignity and, you know, all the rights that we have been talking about for for so many years here. So there's going to be a further division between the leadership and the people of these various countries and these monarchies. And, you know, I'll say it again, Jamal, at your peril, you want to continue to isolate people. You want to befriend, you know, uh, you want to befriend a government that has been, you know, uh, just basically committing ethnic cleansing against Palestinians for 71 years now, you know, you you are very short-sighted. You know, you want to exchange Palestine, Palestine for a couple of F-35s, you know, to your peril, man. Be careful. Well, the only thing I can say is two things. One, that the Palestinian struggle has been ongoing for uh, 70 years. Uh, everything that has happened uh, to Palestinians and uh, has not dissuaded them uh, from demanding and asking for their rights. That's right. From the children who are second or third or fourth generation, because we're now entering into fourth generation since 1948. That's right. They still hang on to the right of return to their towns and villages. So with that, as far as trying to extinguish the spirit, uh, they're going to fail at this, and they're they not going to solve. And they're not going to solve the issue and have this comprehensive peace in the Middle East as they try. They're trying to do. They're basically trying to circumvent. They're trying to circumvent Palestinians and march ahead. And then we have last uh, few minutes. Just I want to comment also. This is really a uh, colossal failure by the uh, Palestinian Authority, and uh, and those. And I'm not going to just get them. And those who drank the Kool-Aid the of Oslo. Oslo. Kool-Aid, yeah. And we've talked about this until our face turned blue <laughs> about what's wrong with Oslo. And then every time we see what's wrong with Oslo. Here, we're, okay. we're, we're, we're seeing the reality of the consequences of Oslo today, Jamal, by these normalizations. That's the consequence of Oslo. And I, I, and I will say this freely. Failed Palestinian leadership. Uh, this is where we are today. Thankfully, Palestinians um, are much more capable than their leaders. And people will, will, you know, as long as Palestinians can determine their future, unlike the current leadership, we're going to be just fine. That's right. And uh, we're running out of time. We are. Uh, you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Uh, we'd like you to, and we'd like to thank also our viewers on, on Facebook and also on YouTube. And go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest yeah. episodes. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>